book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 20. We're going to be reading from the New King James Version. We're going to be reading four verses of Scripture, and then we'll drop down to verses 22 through 26. 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, and verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and the others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Dropping down to verse 22. Now when, say when, now when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had came against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days carrying the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Baraka until this day. A couple weeks ago, I preached to you a message on fasting and how, how that prayer plus fasting equals power. Godly prayer coupled with fasting produces powerful results. And then last week, our administrative bishop State overseer for the state of Kentucky was here with us and he preached a wonderful word. If you didn't get to hear that word, I challenge you to go back online and listen to it. He and I didn't talk about what for him to preach, but he preached a message that was titled, Run to the Battle. Not run from the battle, run to the battle. And then God dealt with me this week, this past Wednesday, we had a night of prayer in this sanctuary. I don't know if you got to be here or not. There was a great crowd of people here on Wednesday night. And let me tell you, there was a powerful presence of the Lord in this sanctuary in that time of prayer. But the Lord spoke to me this week. And I have a message I want to share with you. We have prayed and we have fasted. But whatever you do, if you want the answer and you want the victory, don't forget to praise don't forget to praise so the title of this message today is pray fast and praise if you will pray with me and for me one more time father thank you for your presence we've already felt here today thank you for your word Lord, I pray for the next few moments you would remove every hindrance that would hinder this service and prohibit us from hearing and receiving what you would speak to your people today. 
Anoint these lips of clay that I would not speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that your word would come forth today and that it would come forth in the demonstration and in the power of your spirit. God, I ask you to anoint every ear seated in this house this morning to hear and every heart to receive what it is that you are speaking to your people today. And Lord, more than anything, let us leave differently than we came. Let us leave this place praising you, realizing, God, that there's power in our praise. I ask you to do what only you could do in this place, and we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for it all in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. The Bible delights in contrast. In fact, that is one of the most powerful aspects of the Word, is that the Word of God will take something that may be negative, and He will turn it uh, and oppose it with something that's positive and something that's powerful. If you are much of a Bible reader, reader, you will understand what I'm talking about when I speak of some of these stories. We see that same aspect happening in the story of Cain and Abel. We see that happening in the story of Jacob and Esau. We see that happening in the story of David and Saul. We see that happening in the story of John and Judas Iscariot. And we see that happening in the story of Paul and Nero. And at the center of this story that we're talking about today, there's another character that's full of light and he's full of righteousness and he's compared to one who is not. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah and Ahab and his sons, the kings of Israel. And Ahab and his family, you see, had tried to destroy, they had tried to destroy the worship of the true God in Israel. But when we read the Bible, we, we read and it tells us that Jehoshaphat, the word said, sought the God of his father, he walked in his commandments, and not after the doings of Israel. Jehoshaphat, the Bible teaches us, was the second king of Judah to do right in the eyes of the Lord. And in his 25-year reign, he led a rather extensive campaign to abolish idolatry that was left in the land from his father Asa's reign. Jehoshaphat not only destroyed false worship, but he initiated constructive programs to help the people. The Bible tells us that it was Jehoshaphat that sent Levites throughout the land to teach the people the law of Moses. It was Jehoshaphat who appointed judges to help him administer the covenant polity of Israel. It was Jehoshaphat that the Bible said fortified cities and he strengthened the military. And it was Jehoshaphat who trusted God to give him leadership when, say when, when he had to go into the battle. Can I tell you in this life that we are living, it's not really a matter of if you will go into battle, it's when you go into battle. And Jehoshaphat was one of the most righteous and the most godly kings of Judah. And on this particular day, God would fight his battle for him. But it did not appear that way in the beginning. Jehoshaphat found himself in the midst of a bunch of chaos. Now, whether most of us in this room today are willing to admit it or not, many of the things that God does is always done in the middle of a bunch of chaos. Can I get a witness? Y'all are clapping like you're at a golf tournament this morning. We're doing good up in the First Presbyterian Church. But can I tell you this morning, if you are looking for the hand of God to move in a situation, you probably shouldn't be looking in a place where there's nothing but peace and serenity. 
If you're really looking for the hand of God to move in the midst of a situation, it's probably going to be in a place where things are just flat out messed up, where life is just a hot mess and things are out of order. I want to tell you, it started that way in the beginning and it'll end that way. You see that pattern in the Word of God from Genesis all the way to Revelations. Genesis, which was the seedbed of the Bible, out of chaos, we find creation. And that seems to be the pattern that develops all the way throughout. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about in the beginning when there was nothing. We read in the book of Genesis and we find that light came piercing through the darkness. We read that land came emerging up out of the sea. Later on, we read that water comes springing forth from a rock in the middle of the wilderness. We read about manna that fell from heaven to feed God's people. We read about victory that came through the jawbone of a donkey. And you may say, you know, a donkey's not worth much of anything, but it was Samson who took that jawbone of a donkey and slayed, the Bible said, a thousand Philistines. And we also read about salvation coming through a scarlet cord in the story of a lady by the name of Rahab. I want to tell you something today. No matter how difficult it may seem in your life, God will always bring something out of the chaos. Now, the whole 20th chapter of 2 Chronicles is really evidence that God works in special ways for those of us who find ourselves in trouble. There are some principles here that can help us see the hand of God in every situation that we face. Because in the nutshell, Jehoshaphat finds himself in a vulnerable position, having to defend himself on two fronts. He is trapped in an ambush between the children of Moab and Ammon on the one side, and then the warriors of Mount Seir on the other. It wasn't a matter of if he would go into battle. It was a matter of deciding which direction he was going to go and which battle he was willing to face. Sometimes in your life, you will find yourself up against it on both sides. Can I get a witness? But the God that you serve will fight the battle for you if you'll commit it into his hands. And so the first thing that stands out to us in this story, or stands out to me, is that the warriors who are attacking Judah and Jerusalem, you know what they came from? They came from an old mistake from generations prior to Jehoshaphat. See, Moab and Ammon were the products of an incestuous relationship that Lot had with his daughters after they had fled from Sodom and Gomorrah. And all of those years had passed and they had continued to agitate and to provoke both Israel and Judah at every opportunity they had. And all throughout the Bible, we find that trouble had to constantly be fought because of somebody else's mistake. Abraham's mistake with Hagar is still troubling us to this day. If you read much of the Bible, you'll know the story of the lost axe head. You'll know the story of a cart carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And when the mistake was made of touching the cart, touching the Ark, can I tell you something this morning? You better be careful about touching God's anointed. We also read the story about a fire that went out on the altar. Somebody else's mistake. My God, I pray the fire never goes out on this altar. I pray that we see more than we saw 27 last year give their lives to Jesus. I pray we see 57 this year. That's my prayer. 
But I want to ask you this morning, how many times have you had to fight battles because of somebody else's mistake? Uh-huh. You weren't even involved until you were drawn in by their foolish choices and their foolish decisions. And that's the way it is with many of the difficulties of life, always cleaning up after somebody else. Can I get a witness this morning? But you know what I've learned to do? Don't take it personal. I'm learning. I'm still learning. Don't take it personal. You just do what's right, and you watch God bring the deliverance. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against people. Hello, somebody. But we're wrestling against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. But we serve a God that has dominion over all of it. The Bible tells us, though, that because of this dreaded attack, this battle, there's got to choose one side or the other. There's a battle on both sides. Jehoshaphat began to fear. As a matter of fact, he was eaten up with that fear. And the devil always has and always will have a heyday with our fears in the midst of our difficulty. If the enemy can cause us to fear, then he can kill our faith. Fear of defeat. Fear of failure. Fear of losing everything. Maybe fear of backsliding. Some of you hear the doctor's report and you're all of a sudden afraid of sickness and disease. Fear of maybe that a spouse is going to leave you. Fear of children who aren't serving the Lord. Fear of temptation. Some of you have said before, if I have to face this one more time, I'm just done. I'm going to throw in the towel and quit. Open confession is good for the soul, sister, wherever you are. I heard it. Somebody said, it's me. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. A real man or a real woman of God will not be mastered by their fears. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know why? Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Whoo, I feel the Holy Ghost. Thou preparest a table right before me in the very presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No fear. No fear. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something this morning, though. Even though this fear almost blinded Jehoshaphat, because he knew that this danger could overpower his throne and take over the nation, he still could not allow himself to believe that his enemies were stronger than his God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now listen. To revisit the idea of contrast in the Bible, consider that even though in deep fear, Jehoshaphat found a place of prayer. This past Wednesday night, I believe we found a place of prayer. You're going to see some more nights of prayer on the schedule. We stopped the classes. The youth didn't go to their part. Everybody came in the sanctuary. But we found a place of prayer. And God met us here. Now listen. 
Jehoshaphat found a place of prayer, and it was not a perfect prayer. In fact, it started out with questions. But it was the nature of the questions that Jehoshaphat allowed to build his faith. I want to tell you this morning, there are times in prayer that our questions need to become a revelation of who God is and what he said he would do. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 6 through 12. I think I'll just read through them this time. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not, here's a question, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God? He made it personal. Who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. Verse 8. And they dwell in it and have built you. God, they've built you a sanctuary in it for your name's sake. If disaster comes upon us, in other words, it don't matter what might happen. Sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple in your presence for your name in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and say, verse 10, and now here are the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out from the land of Egypt but they turned from them and they did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession. Something you gave us to inherit. Verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us. Did you hear that? We have no power. you got to recognize God for who God is. We have no power, nor do we know what to do. Watch this. But our eyes are fixed on you. When we don't know what to do, we know the one who knows what to do. Listen, this right here, that's a way that the devil never wants you to learn to pray. He don't ever want you to learn to pray that way. Instead of the questions leading to doubt and discouragement, the questions started recharging the faith of Jehoshaphat. He started reminding himself of what God had done, and it recharged the faith of Jehoshaphat and the people. I want to tell you this morning, it's not wrong to question in your circumstances. Just make sure that the questions are moving in the direction of the power of God and not the power of the enemy. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verses 14 through 17. Then, say then, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, tells you all about who he was, as if you cared, in the midst of the congregation or the assembly. And he said, listen, the Spirit of the Lord came upon this man in the midst of the assembly, and he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. And then he said, Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeriel. You will, you will not need to fight in this battle. Just position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. And he said it again. 
do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them. For the Lord is with you. I come to tell somebody this morning, don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid of the attack. Don't be tore up by the circumstances. That's what the enemy wants. If you'll give him a battlefield in your mind, he'll have a heyday. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Put your trust in God. The battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Now, I just want to bring something to your attention right here. Go back to verse 14 again, Brother Eric. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Go to verse 15. Thus says the Lord to you. So see, we're reading about, here's what happened. If you want to put it in today's terms, the Holy Ghost spoke. Can I tell you, we need the speaking of the Holy Ghost in the church today. Listen, it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to think it's strange or weird. We need to hear from God. And here's what happened. Somebody said, no, wait a minute, Pastor. The Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost after Jesus had already gone back. And that was in the New Testament. This is Old Testament. Yeah, you're right. It did. But when all of creation started, what did the Bible say? The Spirit was hovering over the waters. The Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. That's what the Word said. The Spirit's always been. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon this man and said, Thus saith the Lord. Listen, the faith-filled prayer that he prayed started turning something over in that whole nation. And it caused the Holy Ghost to move and speak in the congregation. I want to tell you this morning, our prayers do not define God. But they will cause God to reveal himself to us in the chaos of the situation. Now, I'm going to go through this quickly. There, and I try not to use big words, but I don't know how else to explain it to you. So I'm going to try to quickly explain it. But when you're studying the Word, for those that really study the Word, and if you go to seminary or anything like that, they will teach you about principles of studying the Word. And one of those things is uh, hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is the science of interpretation in light of studying Scripture. And there's a hermeneutical principle that is used when you study the Bible that takes into consideration all sorts of things about the context, the historical tone of the passage, the time constraints involved, and a lot of other stuff that, that brings out things of that passage of Scripture. And one of those principles of hermeneutics is called the like as principle. And it's a rule which God will say that, or Scripture will say that God or man is like something or is as something in order to give us a clear definition of these things. For instance, consider these following passages of Scripture. Psalm 72 and 6. He shall come down like rain, I'm going to go quick, Eric, upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. Psalm 78 and 65. Then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. Psalm 104 and 2. Who covers thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain. Jeremiah 23 and 29, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Those are just a few of the many examples all throughout the Bible of this principle, this like as principle. But I want to look at one particular in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 13. The word said, the Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. Did you hear me? He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, God is going to fight your battle. Let me say that again. 
if you will give it to him, God is going to fight your battle. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be dismayed by the circumstances you see in front of you. The battle is not yours. The battle belongs to God. And the Bible said after they heard the word of faith come from the prophets. You know what the Bible said? They heard that word of faith come forth. The Holy Ghost spoke. They fell on their, fell before the Lord, worshiping. They had fasted. Are you with me? We did a 10-day fast. They had prayed. Last Wednesday night, we had a night of prayer. But now, it was time to praise. Are you with me? Now, here's where sometimes people get a little uncomfortable. But I want to tell you something this morning. You can worship the Lord without opening your mouth. You can worship Him in your heart. You can. But you cannot praise Him without opening your mouth. Now, wait a minute, preacher. I can't. I can give God all the praise. I, I give God all the praise He deserves without ever opening my mouth. Then you tell me, why did the psalmist say, let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord? Because if you're going to, you can worship Him without opening your mouth, but if you're going to give God praise, you're going to have to open up your mouth. I would to God that we could get back to the place in the church where we didn't worry about what somebody else uh, was thinking when we started worshiping and when we started praising. I wish that we could get back to the place where we didn't have any pride anymore when we came into the house of God. We were just so thankful for what God has done for us that it didn't matter what else was going on. We got to praise Him. Excuse me while I praise Him. Excuse me while I worship Him. He's been so good to me. You can't do for me what He's done for me. I've got to give God praise. Hallelujah. How many times have you walked into a church service tired and beat up and ready to quit? Ready to just give in, but somebody took the word and they started exhorting. Or the preacher started preaching. And it built your faith to such a place that you said, I can make it. I'm going to make it another day. Or how many times have you ever came in in the same condition in the praise team? The band started playing. The praise team started singing. And all of a sudden you felt like, wait a minute. I think I can make it another day. And then somebody said, I got to throw this in there. Because see, here's the thing. They don't say it to me. They just say it to other people. I don't know why they have to sing all those songs. Why can't we sing them old songs? Can I tell you that at one time Amazing Grace was a brand new song? Somebody walked into church and started singing it, and somebody else said, why do they have to sing a new song? And then Amazing Grace has become a song that's synonymous with the church around the world. And I want to tell you something this morning. What you just heard them sing, now back in my day, now listen, I can throw back Pentecost. Anybody in the room with me can throw back some Pentecost? Back in my day, now listen, don't y'all... Baptist people look at me that way. I was raised Baptist. This church is full of a lot of Baptists, but you wouldn't be here if you wanted to be Baptist. Hello? Right? And it ain't no different. There ain't nothing wrong with Baptists. My mama was a great Baptist. As a matter of fact, let me just throw this in there for some of you Pentecostals. A lot of the stuff that my Pentecostal friends did, my mama would preach to me and send me to hell. That's how strict she was. She couldn't believe y'all went to the movie house. I wasn't allowed to go to the movie house. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. 
But what they sang this morning, it was no different than in my day. It was the same thing, but you know how it came out? It came out like, I feel like praising, praising Him. Anybody remember that? You remember that song? Sing it. I feel like praising, praising Him. Sing it with me if you know it. Praise Him in the morning. Praise Him all day long. I feel like praising, praising Him. I didn't plan this, but I'm going to do it again. Listen, here's what they'd sing. If you don't want to praise Him, don't hinder me. See, they didn't care what you thought about it. If you don't want to praise Him, don't hinder me. Sing it out. Oh, praise Him in the morning. Praise Him all day long. Well, I feel like praising, praising Him. Listen. They'd begin to sing that, the same kind, of, same kind of song they sung this morning. I will praise you. I will praise you. I won't let the stones cry. Same song. Different rhythm, different words. You know what the only thing that matters is? When they were singing it, did you praise him? Did you praise him? Because one of the things that we need to learn in this thing is this. While you worship, he wars. While you worship, God fights the battle. I'm going to share this story with you this morning. I read this week and it's so, so very good and so very relevant. I'm going to share this and then I'm going to close. But Doug Stanton writes in a book that was entitled Horse Soldiers about a group of the spiritual forces that were dropped into Afghanistan just a few weeks after the World Trade Centers were bombed in New York City. Their mission was to work with some of the Afghan warlords in an attempt to wipe out Al-Qaeda and Taliban terror networks. And amazingly, these highly trained special forces soldiers, they ended up having to ride horses into the mountains to defeat some of those terror cells. And shortly after they arrived, they met up with one of the Afghan chiefs who led them into the mountains in search of the Taliban. And after a couple days of travel, they finally reached this huge canyon where thousands of feet above sea level. And the special forces commander asked the chief where the Taliban was. And the warlord pointed across the canyon about 1,000 to 2,000 yards away from them. And he said, they're over there in those caves. Now, there was great hesitation on the special forces to just simply begin to bomb these spots because they really had no idea who was truly inside. They didn't know if they were being tricked. And it could have been some uh, American uh, people that had been taken hostage. Or it could have been uh, some others, that innocent people that didn't need to die. And so he said, he told the, the special forces commander, began to explain. He said, I, I don't want to start firing off bombs into these caves because I'm not sure the Taliban's really in there. So the Afghan chief, he pulled out his walkie-talkie. And he began to utter all sorts of insults and intimidation and threats. And the airwaves on about a dozen of the other Afghan walkie-talkies lit up. And the Taliban began responding on those walkie-talkies with their insults and their threats. And 
the, the Afghan continued to harass them and finally told them, step out of those caves so we can see you. And to the amazement of the special forces commander, at the mouth of some of those caves on the opposing canyon wall, the Taliban just began to appear in different places at the mouths of those caves. And when they appeared, they were looking for him. They were waving their arms and doing obscene gestures and shouting profanities and, uh, at the Afghans and the special forces soldiers across the way. And the Afghan chief, with a little smile on his face, looked at that special forces commander and he said, America, bomb Taliban. And when he did that, the special forces soldier pulled out some fancy little equipment out of his bag. And he began tracking with GPS and lined up the coordinates. And he called the jets that were hovering thousands of feet above them. And he called them the numbers or sent them the numbers electronically. And the Afghans were taking all of this in and they were wondering. Well, watch this. The enemy was wondering while everybody on this side was just standing there and looking up. And they continued to shout their profanities. And they stood. the special forces stood. And they were just looking up on the other side. And they were just watching the sky. And the Afghan looked at, they looked at the others as if they had just lost their minds. And what on earth were they doing? But then all of a sudden, the pilots started calling into the earpieces of the special forces. 30 seconds, 20 seconds, 10, 9, 8. And when they got to 1, suddenly that whole mountainside began to erupt and burst with sounds of fury and massive explosions. And those caves were obliterated with the use of smart bombs that had been guided in. Listen to this By that GPS tracking system And after about 10 seconds of stunned silence The Afghan warlord started jumping up and down And saying America bomb Taliban America bomb Taliban What are you saying pastor this morning I'm saying that you serve a God That's got a GPS tracking system And the Holy Ghost knows where your enemy is Better than you know where he is But when you step back And you say God here it is I can't do it anymore I'm going to commit it unto you, you can just look up into the heavens and wait it out, honey, because God's coming to fight the battle on your behalf. Woo! He will fight the battle. If you all will come to the music this morning, the devil doesn't want you to know this. He don't want you building your faith with that kind of prayer. He don't want you to use your GPS tracking system. How many times have you came into the house of God, though, and you began to sing and worship until the Holy Ghost began to move and flow? Or you began to pray, maybe here, maybe at home, in your prayer closet, until something happened. Or you began to worship and praise until the power of God fell. I could go on and on and on with this list, but I want to encourage you by saying this morning, listen to your pastor. What happens inside the house of God has great impact on things outside of these four walls. Are you with me? What do you mean, Pastor? Don't you ever underestimate the power of your praise. Because backsliders can be convicted while you praise. Healing can take place in somebody's life while you praise. Evangelism can come to pass while you praise. Why? Because while you worship, He wars. Now listen, I'm going to close with this. Verse 22. Verse 22. Now when? Say when. 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 
when they had fasted, they had prayed. But it wasn't until they began to sing and what? What? Sing and praise. Now, when they began to sing and praise, listen, I can't do your worshiping for you. This worship team can't do your worshiping for you. But when you began to sing and praise, the Lord will set ambushments against that devil that's coming against you. That's what he did here. And watch this. They were defeated. But it wasn't until they praised. If you just pray and you just fast and you fail to praise, you've missed the point. The psalmist said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. See, let me tell you something. And I'm done. The victory hadn't happened yet. Did you catch that? Yes, pastor, I prayed. Yes, pastor, I fasted. But I'm not seeing the answer yet. Neither had they. But when they praised, God defeated the enemy. It's real easy to come in here on cloud nine after you've gotten the victory. The real test of your spiritual walk with Jesus is how well do you praise Him before the victory comes. Stand with me all over the house this morning. Jehoshaphat did not resort to the first weapon, the first catapult, the first army, the first chariot, and the first horse. He simply prayed, fasted, and then he praised the Lord. What utter foolishness that looked like or seemed like for some of them to resort to such things and expect a victory. But can I tell you this morning, this is how God spends the majority of his time working. I'm going to say it again. While you worship, he wars. Closing with this scripture. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 and 2. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. I'm going to tell you something this morning. You can't figure God out. You'll never figure God out. But one thing you can figure out is that he's a miracle working God. He's a way maker. I said he's a way maker. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. Like they sung this morning. He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. You can go through all throughout this Bible and read after miracle, after miracle, after miracle. But in this passage of scripture I just read to you. It wasn't until they praised that the victory came. You may be here today and maybe you're not even where you need to be with the Lord. Maybe you're not saved. I want to tell you this morning, whatever you do, please don't leave this house without Him. Somebody help me preach that. Please don't leave this house without Him. You don't have to. Salvation is as simple as the ABCs. I'm just going to be real honest with you this morning. It gets hard after that. Salvation is easy. But it does get a little difficult after that. 
I'm not going to be one of these preachers that tells you, oh, just come give your life to Jesus. Everything will be perfect till we get called away to heaven. Can I get some real people in the house this morning to say it ain't so? But can I also get some people to testify this morning with Jesus on your side, there won't be anything you'll face in this life that you'll have to face without him. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Salvation is as simple as the ABCs. All you got to do is admit the A, admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. B, believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that He lived His life, He died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And C, after you've repented and asked Him to forgive you, C, you confess with your mouth, the Bible says, and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. It's that simple. And if you're not saved this morning, I want to tell you, when we open this altar, please join these people that are going to come pray and praise. Find you a place to pray and make the decision to follow Jesus. Because there's a room full of people here today that will testify with me. Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Don't leave here without Him. But now for the rest of us. For the rest of us. I done said it once. I can't praise for you. But if you need God to move in your life, you need God to move in a situation, you say, Pastor, I've fasted and I've prayed. I'm going to open this altar and they're going to sing. I want to invite you to forget about all your surroundings. Forget, forget about everybody else. And if your spouse don't like to praise, but you do, let them sit there in their mully grubs and you come get what God has for you. Some of your husbands just got mad at me. Or maybe it was your wife. I don't know. But whatever you do, don't leave this place without giving God the praise that He's worthy of this morning. Because I promise you, if you will, God's going to fight your back.